Please sit comfortably. Good evening, everyone. One of the um, best expressions I came across recently as a way of describing Zen meditation and just living a, a Zen life generally is to be an observer participant. <clears throat> not just an observer, not just a participant, but an observer participant. Now, the linear brain probably can't put that together. You've either got to be an observer or you've got to be a participant. <clears throat> but when you, experience, when you have the experience of meditation or you, and the experience of um, living a, a life based on Zen practice, then it becomes, makes more sense to you that these things coexist, is that you're observing and you're participating in life at the same time. And um, let me just share with you some of my, um, my very early experiences of when I was a teenager and a, and a young man, which were my, my first glimmers of um, experiencing mindfulness and being an observer. And you probably have you, your own experience of this as well. <clears throat> um, this is before I knew anything about Buddhism or, or Zen or anything, because mindfulness is in, in many ways, it's, it's been cultivated through Buddhism, but it's a kind of a, just a natural, um, a natural faculty that we have as human beings if we tap into it. But one of my first experiences, and I remember these two experiences very, very vividly. I remember exactly where I was each time, so they must have made an impact on me. The first one when I was about 14 and I was down the beach. I was actually in DY Beach, where I used to go. And as adolescent boys, as typical adolescent boys, we used to fight amongst one another and put each other down. And, and um, it was all our adolescent way of trying to be superior to one another or beat one another. And um, it was very unpleasant at times, you know, a lot of um, sort of um, name calling and things like that. And I remember, and I used to participate in that as well. And I remember one point where I went, hold on. And I just was watching it all happening. And I stepped back and I witnessed my thoughts around this and I witnessed what was happening outside of me and and it was a it was a, a sort of a, a beginning period of insight it's like wow I'm caught up in all of this and it actually doesn't make me feel very good and it's probably hurting other people as well and I don't have to do it there was you know it's this first sense of stepping back and getting behind thoughts rather than being just caught up in thoughts, right? Stepping behind and going, oh, that's interesting. You can actually step back from that and you don't have to be involved in it if you don't want to. So, and it must have been significant for me because I remember it so clearly. The second, that's more of an emotional experience. The second one was more cognitive or intellectual. Um, I used to go to Macquarie University and I was studying philosophy at the time and I had a close friend of mine who lived near the university and we used to go to his place and have dinner frequently after lectures and so on. And we used to discuss philosophical issues. And I remember we were so caught up in this abstract world of ideas um, 
that I remember feeling really heady and really confused and really feeling, really experiencing very strong doubt about everything. And again, a moment happened and I stepped back from it. And it's like I got behind all the doubt and confusion and I witnessed the doubt and confusion and it shifted it. Somehow there was kind of like finding a place of peace behind all the turmoil. And that experience stayed with me. Um, it's a long time. They sort of they they sort of notch in your memory, and it's, it's like there's something significant about this, and maybe this would be a useful way to be all of the time. So I suppose those kind of experiences that are natural insights, natural of emerging of mindfulness, um, happen to everyone, and they they gradually bring us along. Well, they can gradually bring us along to formal practice. And then we, we understand it more, we get more of a comprehension of what it's about and we practice it in a formal way. And we, we practice being a witness to our experience. And it's a lot of, lot of useful insight comes out of doing that. However, it's not the be all and end all of Zen practice to just be an observer. And there are statements made by one um, a Japanese teacher called um, Katagiri Roshi, who was one of the Zen teachers who brought um, Zen to America. And he said, the, the, um, the witness is the last stand of the ego. Mm-hmm. Very important statement. So it's like even holding on to something solid in the observer, oh, that's me, out, w- watching the world out there, even that has to dissolve, mm-hmm. has to dissolve into the stream. And there's also another Zen koan, um, which you probably heard me mention sometimes before. Um, you who sit on the top of a hundred foot pole, take a step and show your body in the ten directions. In other words, you can do formal practice and develop this, this witness capacity and a sense of equanimity in observing what's coming and going but you're still removed from it. You're still on the top of the pole. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of progress to something. But then the teacher says, take a step from the top of the pole and show your body in the 10 directions. Like, just jump into the void. Jump into the void. Surrender everything. Jump into the void. And it's like a metaphor I've used. is It's like jumping out of a an aeroplane with a parachute on, or not with a parachute on, just jumping out of an aeroplane and you're just free-falling through empty sky, right? Just free-falling through emptiness and impermanence. And you realise you're not, there's no ground that you're going, to, you're going to drop into and die. You just keep dropping through the momentariness of experience, right? So like you're fully participating in life. So if you just... If you, it's a good beginning and it's the foundation of practice to practice being a witness to your experience. But it doesn't stop there. And it's a bit like, it's a bit like you, could, you, could, you could live your life um, really being committed to, to not making mistakes, right? Um, and you could lead a good life by doing that, maybe by not harming anyone, you know, but... Um, if that's all that you did, 
was living a life not to make mistakes, then you're not, you're not fully living. Mm-hmm. You're not just throwing yourself into the hurly-burly of life and seeing what occurs. It's too protective. And so that's why Zen takes this further step into um, entering into, leaping into momentariness, into emptiness, transience, uncertainty, randomness. And as I said earlier on, purposelessness too. There's There's not necessarily any purpose to the wind blowing or the birds singing or walking down the street. It's just the experience of doing it. I read um, recently uh, a paper on mindfulness where the author um, used the metaphor, which I think comes from the Bible, um, of build your house upon the rock and not upon the sand. You know, um, And it's sort of not very wise to build it on the sand because it won't won't be stable. And, and then he went on to say that, it was a confusing metaphor, but it went on to then to say that um, it's better to, you know, from a mindfulness point of view, to build on the rock and not on the sand, right? Because then you've got a solid experience. But, but all of Buddhism and all of Zen, but even just our own experience, tells us there's nothing solid to stand on. That was my mistake when I was younger doing philosophy, trying to find a solid intellectual ground to stand on, you know, so I could feel some confidence in my life. I never found it. And it's interesting to come back to that metaphor because one of the other turning points, the big turning points in my life that led me to Zen practice, and I've mentioned this before, is I read a book by Alan Watts which was called The Wisdom of Insecurity. And he used the same metaphor that comes from the Bible. Most people are trying to build their house upon the rock on some sort of solidity, but it's futile. And what he was encouraging people to do, as the title of the book suggests, is find your wisdom in insecurity. Find your wisdom in the random momentary, transient nature of of life. Become one with it. Mm -hmm. And then when you do that, you are an observer and a participator at the the same time. See, if you're just a participator, which is what we all are before we take up practice anyway, but we're probably participating in ways which are rather foolish or unwise, right? And then like in my adolescent experience, you step back from it, you witness it and go, that's, that's not very skillful or wise or even ethical to do. And you grow from that experience, right? So, but then you've got to merge that observer back into life again. And it's different from what you were before because you're both, not one or the other. <laughs>